Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Peter Schiff Show. Hi, everybody. This is Peter Schiff. It is Friday, September 4th, 2015. And earlier today, we released, I guess, the most important non-farms payroll report ever, or at least that's the way the media was hyping it. In fact, there was a Wall Street Journal article that basically said that this jobs report could seal the deal on rate hikes, that the August employment report could make or break the case for the Federal Reserve raising interest rates. This was supposed to be it. This was the jobs report that was going to be the deciding factor. I mean, could you believe that? Interest rates have been at zero for, what, almost seven years, right? The Federal Reserve has been contemplating liftoff for years. And it all boiled down to one jobs report? I mean, how could that possibly be? I mean, if the Federal Reserve was really about to raise interest rates in two weeks, this jobs report shouldn't even make a difference. It shouldn't even matter what this report was. After all, how many times do they revise the report significantly a month or two later? I mean, how do you make a decision based on a report when you don't even know if the report is accurate? And of course, even if the report is accurate, what if the situation changes? What if we got a great jobs report this month and then the Fed raised rates in two weeks and then two weeks later, we got an awful jobs report? I mean, are they supposed to cut rates back down to zero and say, oops, you know, oh, we should we jump the gun? I mean, if anybody really believed the Fed was about to raise rates, this report would not make a shred of difference. But the fact that so many people think this report means something when so many other reports have come out month after month, year after year, and the Fed has stayed at zero, there was going to be nothing in this report that was going to be any different than all of the preceding jobs reports that didn't prompt a rate hike. Again, this is all part of the show. Well, let's get into the numbers that were revealed today because the number was supposed to be 223,000. And what people were saying, well, if we get a strong number, I mean, above 250,000, oh, then it's a done deal. 
then the Fed is going to hike for sure. But if we get a lower number, you know, below 200, well, then the, the rate hike is off the table, right? I mean, that's such a small difference that's supposed to determine such a big policy decision. Well, the number we got was 173,000, well below the consensus forecast. Yet, when I listened to the description of the jobs report, most commentators still thought it was a strong report. Why did they spin it that way? Well, they did revise prior month, last month, the July number, which they originally reported at 215,000 jobs. They now tell us it's 245,000 jobs. So the increase in July was a little bit bigger, but of course that just means the drop in August is that much bigger. But of course, they're now also telling us, don't worry, that there is a history of revising August higher. And so maybe next month we'll find out that it really wasn't 173,000 jobs. It was some higher number. Although you never know, maybe they're going to revise August even lower. One of the weaker components was the uh, civilian employment. Private payrolls only grew by 140,000. They were supposed to grow by 211,000. So that's a pretty big difference. That means about, what, 30,000 people got government jobs. And those jobs don't make us richer. They make us poorer. We've got to pay those salaries out of our taxes. And generally, those government workers are not productive. They're not helping us make stuff. They're getting in our way. They're preventing other people who are gainfully employed uh, from doing their jobs. So I don't think we're in a better shape because we hired more government people. Of course, the headline number that President Obama is going to be bragging about is the unemployment rate dropped to 5.1, that official measure. That's the lowest of the Obama presidency. I think it's the lowest since uh, 2008 before uh, the financial crisis. But once again, the devil is in the details. You just need to look beneath the surface. And again, you don't have to look that deep. It's just that nobody does. Why does the unemployment rate continue to fall? Because the mass exodus from the labor market continues. The parade is going on. Another 261,000 of Americans left the labor force. The participation rate held steady at 62.6, where it's been for the past three months. That is the lowest rate in 38 years, right? Since 1977. That's the last time the labor force participation was this low. And you know what? I think it's headed lower. I think it's biding its time at the lows, getting ready for another dip into uncharted territory. The total number of Americans not in the labor force rose to a new record. The first time it's above 94 million. The actual number, 94 million and 31,000 able-bodied Americans who could be working or looking for work are not. Also, this month, another 158,000 Americans find themselves involuntarily part-time employed. That means they want full-time jobs and they only have part-time jobs. Now, that could mean that somebody who was unemployed got a job and it's only part-time. He settled for a part-time job even though he wanted a full-time job. Or it could mean that you had a full-time job in July but your hours got cut back and now you're working part-time, even though you want those extra hours, uh, you know, you're, you're now involuntarily part-time employed. That number rose again by 158,000. So 158,000 people who want full-time jobs are working part-time and another 
261,000 don't even want to work, so they've left the labor force. And that's really what's responsible for the improvement, supposedly, in the unemployment rate. But, you know, nobody is talking about this at all. But again, when Janet Yellen was specifically asked, and I think it was Steve Leisman, the CNBC uh, economic reporter, who asked the question, and yet he's not even commenting on this, he asked Janet Yellen, what do you need to see at the Fed in order to raise rates? What are you looking for in the labor market? Because the unemployment rate is obviously low, and that hasn't prompted you to raise. So what specifically are you looking for? And Janet Yellen specifically answered the question by saying, before we can consider beginning to raise rates, there were two things that she wanted to see. She wanted to see more people entering the labor market. She was concerned about labor force participation, and so she wanted more people participating. And she was also concerned about the number of people working part-time that really wanted to be working full-time. She wanted to see an improvement there, too. So she wanted more full-time jobs and fewer part-time jobs and an increase in labor force participation. These were the two things she wanted to see before, before beginning to raise rates. Well, that, those numbers have gone in the wrong direction. The Fed is further away from its goal. Since Steve Leisman originally asked that question, those, those numbers have gone the opposite way. Labor force participation has gone down. Part-time employment has gone up. So everything that the Fed says that they want to see happening is not happening. So why is nobody pointing this out? Why are people still talking about a rate hike when the data would suggest that that's not going to happen? In fact, if you look at all of the economic indicators, right, if you looked at them in a vacuum and you wanted to know, hey, what would the Fed do with these economic indicators? The answer would be reduce interest rates. But they can't reduce interest rates. I mean, they're currently threatening to raise interest rates. Look, we got July factory orders earlier this week, and they rose 0.4 from the previous month, which was less than half of what they were expecting. But if you compare it to July last year, it was down 14.7%. In fact, this is the ninth month in a row where year-over-year factory orders have been down. Nine months in a row. I mean, the last time we had any kind of consecutive string of year-over-year declines in factory orders. We were in recession. The only other times that happened uh, this decade, uh, this century was recession. 2001, it happened, and it was a recession in 2001. And then 08, 09, during the Great Recession. And now it's happening again. So something that only happens during recessions is happening now. Yet everybody thinks the economy is in great shape and the Fed is going to be raising interest rates. And look at the market. Every time since the financial crisis where you've had a drop in the market, where you've had an increase in the VIX, which is a measure of volatility and maybe a measure of fear, every time we've seen a sharp decline in the market and a big increase in the VIX, what has been the Fed's policy response? Quantitative easing. That's what the Fed has always done. So the market right now is doing what the market has done every time before the Fed eased. And the economic indicators look just like they normally will look when the Fed is easing. Yet everybody still believes that in two weeks, the Fed's going to raise rates. Although actually more and more people now don't think they're going to raise in September. You probably still have about a third of the uh, strategists 
who think the Fed is going to move in September. But now you have more and more people thinking, okay, well, they're going to move in October or maybe December. But that's it. I mean, the question is, do they go right now or do they wait a month or two? But nobody is talking about the Fed not raising rates at all or launching QE4, but that is what they're most likely going to do. And in fact, if they make the mistake of raising rates, and when I say mistake, I mean given uh, the bubble, right, that they've inflated. Sure, rates should go up and we should have to deal with the consequences, which will be another financial crisis. But that's not what the Fed wants. The Fed wants to maintain the perception that everything is okay. And it's going to be much harder to maintain that perception if they actually raise rates. Because right now they can pretend that the economy can withstand a rate hike, but that they're just not hiking them yet because the data doesn't justify it. But if they actually raise interest rates, they will prove that the economy is too weak to support it. And now they're going to be in much worse shape because if the Fed raises interest rates and the market keeps falling, if the economy continues to roll over and now they're forced to reduce rates back to zero, I mean, they lose a lot of credibility. And in fact, that is what the source of all the global stock market weakness. Why are the emerging markets so weak? Why are currencies around the world falling? Why are commodity prices falling? Because everybody believes that the Fed is going to raise rates, that the Fed is going to tighten monetary policy, which infects the entire planet or affects the entire planet because the dollar is the main reserve currency. And if interest rates are going to tighten in, in the U.S., then that's going to suck capital out of the rest of the world. And that is impacting the global economy. They are not connecting the dots. They don't realize that if the Fed raises rates, they can't stay raised. They've got to immediately cut them because... The world is, is, is not the only uh, place where higher interest rates are going to have a negative effect. Everybody is acting as if America can raise rates and all of the negative consequences happen outside of America, yet none of the consequences happen inside America. See, that, that's how delusional the markets are with respect to believing that the U.S. economy has some legitimate recovery and that the U.S. markets can continue to go up without the Fed's support. In fact, that is why the markets have been falling. In fact, we were down today about another 272 points. We closed just above 16,100 on the Dow, and the Dow has lost a lot of value. It's now down more than 10% from its highs, right? This is now a official correction, and we're going to have a bear market if the Federal Reserve continues to maintain the pretense that it's about to raise rates, whether it does it in September October, December, as long as that is overhanging the market, the market is going lower. Because for a while, and I explained this in my last video blog, people were delusional if they believed that this time it was different or that the Fed could raise rates and it wasn't going to hurt the markets because they had raised rates in the past and it didn't hurt markets. Well, I pointed out in my last video blog that the Fed, A, had never raised interest rates from zero. This is an unprecedented period. And of course, we've had them at zero for almost seven years. So the magnitude of the malinvestments that have been built up during those seven years, the the size of our addiction to that level of cheap money is unprecedented. But also, another thing I pointed out was that normally when the Fed does raise interest rates, they are raising interest rates into an accelerating economy. They are raising interest rates maybe to restrain inflation, But the economy has enough forward momentum to continue moving in that direction, even against the Fed's rate hikes. It usually takes a couple of years 
for rates to get high enough to finally restrain the economic growth and maybe turn the business cycle again where the economy starts to head down and then the Fed again, you know, starts to cut rates again. But this time, the Fed is raising interest rates when the economy is already weakening. I mean, if the Fed had raised interest rates a few years ago, they would be cutting them right now, given what's going on in the economy and the markets. But of course, they didn't raise interest rates a few years ago. And had they raised interest rates a few years ago, the bust would have happened that much sooner. That's why they didn't raise them. Because at any point in the past, had they raised rates, they would have pricked the bubble. They didn't want to do that, so the bubble got much bigger. And now, of course, it's that much more dangerous to prick it. And because it's so big, even a tiny rate hike would prick it. In fact, I was watching on CNBC today. They had Larry Kudlow on there, and he was advocating for the Fed to raise rates, but only by an eighth of a point, not a quarter, one-eighth, 0.125. And then Larry wanted the Fed to say, it's one and done. Right. We're just going to prove we can raise rates and we're only going to raise them by an eighth of a point and then assure everybody that we're not going to raise them again. Well, what does that prove? You know, I'm reading these articles about how the Fed is getting ready to raise rates and the end of cheap money is over. What do you mean the end is over? It's just beginning. Even if the Fed did raise rates and even if they raised them all the way up to a quarter of one percent, that's still cheap money. That's not the end of cheap money. That's perpetuating cheap money. Yes, it's slightly less cheap than it was, but it's still pretty much dirt cheap. And it's not the end, right? Just because the Fed goes up from zero to a quarter doesn't mean they can't go back down from a quarter to zero, which is exactly what they will do once the markets deal with the consequences of raising rates. And because remember, I mean, there's not much difference between 25 basis points and zero, but psychologically, it's the direction that counts. The markets are forward-looking, and they will be factoring that in, and they're not going to like what they see. You know, people are also saying, hey, if the Fed raises rates, right, it's going to further strengthen the dollar, which is going to be a problem, they say, for the U.S. economy. But the dollar has already strengthened on the anticipation of higher rates. The, the markets don't wait for something to actually happen. They act in anticipation of what they think is going to happen. More often than not, it's a buy on the rumor, sell the fact. I mean, I actually think if the Fed does surprise me and raises interest rates slightly, that the dollar will likely sell off, especially if they uh, convince the markets that it's one and done, because the dollar's rise is not pricing in one and done. It's pricing in a much bigger increase in interest rates, which of course is impossible because the U.S. economy is too broke to afford those higher rates of interest. But again, nobody has put those pieces of the puzzle together. They just, oh, interest rates are going to go up, and they just assume it's possible. And this is what is wreaking havoc in the global economy, in the foreign exchange markets, in the commodities markets. But it's not even possible because the Fed, the U.S. government, America cannot afford those higher rates of interest because we simply have too much debt. Yes, we could afford higher interest rates in the past, but we didn't have that much debt in the past. We had a lot of debt, but not compared to what we have now. And so we, there's no way that we can afford to pay higher rates. In fact, one of the other obvious aspects of this that people are overlooking is the huge stockpile of foreign treasuries right, or U.S. treasuries that are held abroad. You know, the world has about 12 trillion now of foreign reserves. And the vast majority of that are U.S. dollars. I mean, they're not all U.S. dollars, but the majority are dollars. And of course, they're invested in U.S. treasuries. And this has been a big boom to the U.S. government 
because they've been able to sell all these bonds internationally because Americans don't have any savings. So this has kept long-term interest rates lower than they would ordinarily be. And of course, all the foreign dollar buying kept a lot of our domestic inflation. We exported it. And so consumer prices for Americans were much lower than they otherwise would have been had foreigners not bought up all these dollars. So, you know, we got a big benefit. But why do foreign central banks, why do these emerging markets, why do they have so many dollars? Well, they started buying dollars uh, in the aftermath of the Asian economic crisis, what, 1997. They wanted to make sure that they had enough dollars in reserve to defend their currencies if their currencies started to fall. Well, that's happened, right? So now maybe they're going to start drawing on those massive reserves, they're going to start selling their U.S. dollars and U.S. treasuries to try to shore up their currencies. In addition, the vast majority, though, of the accumulation took place after the Fed launched QE1, and we had this global currency war. You had all these emerging markets that were trying to stop their currencies from rising, and so to do that, they bought a bunch of dollars and they bought a bunch of treasuries. Now all those currencies have fallen, and they're still holding on to the vast majority of the dollars that they bought to keep their currencies from going up. Well, now their currencies are going down, and now that's the problem. And so how do they stop that? Well, they start selling their U.S. treasuries. And that has already happened. And I think this is just the beginning. And now you've got people in the media uh, who have labeled this quantitative tightening, right? Quantitative easing was when the Fed was reducing the supply of treasuries by printing money. Well, if foreign central banks are going to be increasing the supply of treasuries by dumping theirs, how is the U.S. economy going to deal with quantitative tightening? It can't. In fact, if you look at the magnitude of the U.S. treasuries held in China, Saudi Arabia, uh, Brazil, countries all around the world that bought up all these dollars in treasuries when their currencies were strong and they were foolishly trying to restrain that growth, well, now they're going to be liquidating. And China has already liquidated a substantial uh, number, but they have a long way to go. This is yet the tip of that Chinese iceberg when it comes to U.S. Treasuries. And of course, remember, it's not just foreign central banks that are going to be selling. But theoretically, the Fed has promised to be a big seller. Now, it didn't say it was going to sell. The Fed said that as the Treasuries that it holds matures, they're not going to roll them over. Now, so far, they've rolled over every Treasury that's matured. But Janet Yellen, about a year ago, promised to stop doing that. And that she promised that by the end of the decade, which is about five years away, that the Fed's $4.5 trillion balance sheet was going to shrink down to about a trillion. Well, that's about $3.5 trillion of quantitative tightening that's going to come from the Fed. right? Because if the Fed is not rolling over these bonds, that means the Treasury has to find a new buyer. Now, they're not going to get the Chinese government, right? They're not buying if they're selling their treasuries. And now the treasury has to find buyers to replace the Fed. Who's going to buy all the treasuries that the Fed's not buying, that China's not buying? Nobody. I mean, who would be dumb enough? What private citizen is going to be dumb enough to loan a bunch of money to the U.S. government for practically no yield? Nobody, right? Interest rates would have to rise dramatically to get real buyers to put their own money into U.S. treasuries. But the problem is, we can't afford that. The U.S. economy can't afford that. The U.S. government can't afford that. The housing market can't afford that. Wall Street can't afford that. Nobody can afford higher rates. So what does that mean? If the Federal Reserve wants to offset quantitative tightening, 
coming from abroad, it can only do that with a domestic round of quantitative easing that is going to be big enough to absorb all the selling. And that is another reason why people should realize that the Fed is not about to embark on a rate tightening campaign because it's all bluff. We can talk about raising rates all we want, but we can't do it because we can't afford it. That's the whole charade that I've been trying to expose for years. And now, you know, at, we're getting closer to the time that the Fed is supposedly going to do it. Now the markets are really starting to fall. The question is, how long is the Fed going to allow this game of chicken to go on, right? Because when are they going to admit that they're not going to do what everybody thinks they're going to do? Because until they admit it, the market's going to keep falling. And I think the U.S. economic data is going to keep getting worse. And at some point, it's going to show up in a much more meaningful way in these jobs numbers. Look, one of the other statistics that we, that we have now is inventories. Industrial production has still been okay, but the inventory to sales ratio is off the charts. It's skyrocketed. So we have a big gap between what businesses think they can sell and what they're actually selling. And that gap has helped keep us out of recession. But when businesses realize they've got all this inventory that they can't sell because their customers are too broke to afford it because they're no longer in the labor market, or if they have a job, it's a lousy, low-paying part-time job. In fact, we lost manufacturing jobs as part of this uh, jobs report. We lost them. Now, it's the first time we've lost manufacturing jobs, I think, in two years. Now, we didn't gain that many when we were gaining them, but now we're starting to hemorrhage them. And I think this trend is going to continue. Now, what did we gain? Well, we gained more bartenders. We had gained more waiters. I mean, we now have more people waiting tables and tending bars than working in factories. And of course, a lot of these uh, bartenders are part-time. But the problem is a part-time bartender doesn't have the purchasing power as a full-time guy working in a factory. Those are much better paying jobs. And they were productive jobs. And those jobs are gone. And this is going to keep getting worse. And at some point, when businesses realize that they bought into an illusion, right? They, be they believed in the mirage of a recovery and they, they loaded up on inventories that now they can't sell. This inventory boom is going to be an inventory bust and it's going to be a big drag on GDP and it's going to be a drag on employment because not only did companies load up on products that they can't sell, they loaded up on part-time workers they don't need. I think businesses are holding on to employees that they really don't need, but they thought they might because they were expecting the economy to pick up, but they expected wrong. And so all this is going to come uh, to the fore uh, over the next several months or early next year. So all this talk about rate hikes is going to go away. And the reality of another round of quantitative easing is going to finally rear its ugly head. And again, if the Federal Reserve makes the mistake of raising rates slightly, uh, whether it's in September or even in uh, October or December, they're going to look even more foolish when they have to reverse that decision and then launch QE4 anyway. Because raising rates just puts a bigger pin in a bubble that's already deflating. And the last thing they want to do is cause the air to come out quicker. In fact, the Fed wants to continue to pretend that everything is okay, which is the only reason that they may raise rates, just to kind of fake it, just to try to keep the, the pretense going by, okay, let's raise rates just a tiny little itsy-bitsy bit to show that we're prepared to do it, and then we're going to tell the markets that don't worry, we're not going to do it again for a long time, yet still pretend that we have a viable recovery. If we had a viable economic recovery, they would have raised rates years ago. They wouldn't be so worried about raising rates a quarter of a point. Larry Kudlow wouldn't be suggesting, well, just do an eighth of a point. An eighth of a point, a quarter of a point, 
That is a ridiculous rate of interest for an economy. There is no way that is real. And there's no way the economy would really be strong if the Fed had to keep interest rates that low. That is an artificial life support. The economy is in critical condition. We got interest rates at zero. But of course, that is not the real remedy. That is the quack uh, witch doctor remedy of the Keynesian uh, voodoo doctors, right, that run the Federal Reserve. That's not what we needed. What we needed is is higher interest rates. We needed to clear out uh, all the dead wood. We needed to restructure the economy. The economy was sick because of years of artificially low interest rates. It wasn't that it needed more. I mean, it's like putting leeches on a patient and you're trying to get him healthy and you put the leeches on and he's still sick. And so you say, well, I guess we didn't have enough leeches. Let's get some more. You know, that's not what the, the economy needs. It needs real medicine. It needs to really get healthy, not more leeches. But that's all the Federal Reserve was able to do. But they want to maintain this con. They want to maintain this illusion. But, you know, the markets and the economy aren't going to let them. It's going to hit the fans soon. They are really getting backed into a corner. And at some point, people are going to realize that we checked into this Monetary Roach Motel, but we are never checking out. Attention listeners, I have an urgent message for you. We're in the middle of a war. The global conflict is destroying the lives of millions without a single bomb being dropped. It's called the International Currency War, and your bank account has been drafted to fight. The victims in this conflict are our currencies, the dollar, the euro, the yen, the pound. They're all heading to zero as irresponsible central banks compete to see who can print the most the fastest. But there's one form of money politicians and central banks can't destroy, gold. Today, it's more important than ever to understand the value of gold in your portfolio and to keep a close eye on major market developments. Subscribe to my monthly video cast and you'll be the first to hear my latest analysis on gold investing and the currency wars. Visit goldvideocast.com right now to subscribe for free. I call the dot-com bust, then the housing bust, and I advise clients to diversify into foreign equities and hard assets while the rest of Wall Street laughed at me. Now I want to keep you up to date on the next crisis that is brewing. My gold video cast also includes personal interviews I've conducted with other contrarian investors like Jim Rickards and Axel Merck. Gold has gone up 256% since 2003, but it has a lot further to go. Don't miss the rally. You can prosper during this time of currency wars, but only if you stay educated. Get a free subscription to my gold video cast at goldvideocast.com. That's goldvideocast.com. There's so much factually incorrect information and underreporting by legacy media today. Shouldn't there be truth in media? Well, there is. Truth in Media. Recently, a novel thought is now a reality with TruthinMedia.com. Led by award-winning journalist Ben Swan, TruthinMedia.com is the source for uninfluenced, reliable, fearless news where journalists pursue real questions, not conspiracies. Make TruthinMedia.com your default browser's homepage today and get breaking news and commentary that speaks the truth to power. It's also where you can tune into The Peter Schiff Show every week. Visit TruthinMedia.com today. That's truthinmedia.com. Access to Truth in Media RS feed by visiting truthinmedia.com forward slash feed.